Good evening, everybody. This is the Lady Barnard coming to you with another segment on the Queen's Diary. I greet you all in peace, love, and blessings. And uh, just uh, sitting around here, I realize I haven't made one for today, so I might as well start with a topic that I should have actually started with earlier, but obviously I was talking about all the dangling carrots going around in social media, which is obviously causing a lot of discussions amongst um, you know, the black conscious sect and uh, uh, the black populace, and, uh, which is something which I follow quite often um, because obviously I'm pan-African, as you all know. That's my political affiliation and also pro-black, which is also my personal affiliation. Which obviously, which obviously, I don't have to um, divulge too much in, because as many people who know me personally, and as of you have listened to me, my topics is solely going to be about black civilizations, you know, um, black black issues and black political issues and social standing issues. Um, I decided to finally make a podcast about, you know, growing up in South Africa, growing up in the townships of South Africa in a place called Mitchell's Plain, which is um, a predominantly uh, black area because it was at that time in the Land Reform Act deemed as a place where they can group black people. But obviously we all know about the caste system and the colorism system in South Africa at the time. Um, so the group that uh, we was um, gathered in, it was three segments. It was you, you're either European white, you're either going to be European, yeah, or you're going to be of Asian descent, which will group you into the coloured areas, and obviously you're going to be uh, black, which at that time they would call you a kafir. Horrendous. We do not condone that at all. Horrific. As another way of them taking away your power the system the white system taking away your power taking away your right to the land instead of calling you what you are originally calling you by your bloodline name calling you by your tribal name which obviously spells an older culture which obviously spells that they are of the land originally but as the europeans um, evolved you know to separate the blacks they figured they need to to group them in certain areas and so Mitchell's Plain on the Cape Flats was specifically one of those little Cape Flat neighborhoods you know it's no different from all the other neighboring neighborhoods that were all the same it's just for for logistic purposes and obviously for better control at the time apartheid was at the time of my birth in 1977 apartheid was at its peak you know you know, the conflict in the country was at its peak and on the Cape Flats, it was stirring. You know, growing up into that environment, not even knowing that white people exist. So as far as the eye can see, you know, our parents kind of protected us from that. We never saw the civilizedness of whiteness. What we saw was the violence that they um, executed on us, you know, and how they vilified us in order to act, you know, um, to act you know, vilifying it, you know, towards the Aboriginal Africans. And so over the uh, centuries, as I look into my own bloodline history, my own past, the sad thing about it is most um, Khoisan, Khoikoyosan, whether you're Khoikoa or you're from Namakwa or you're Nama, you know, 
these are all koi koi peoples but slowly but surely the infiltration of the africana in those neighborhoods leading up to namibia on the west coast because where i coming from is the bottom of the west coast the most southern part of it the uh the africana dutch was very big settlers in that area because that's how they split it up between them and the damn english because they fought a war the white man fought a war to group up you know south africa to group up the koi koi strongholds and the naguni people you know whether you were koza or whether you were zulu or you were um you know of all the um um the tribes in South Africa which those are the predominantly huge ones of Swazi you know um those were the of Venda you know those were the predominant ones um so they grouped us all so in the Cape Flats most of the Khoisan would have been all the descendants of that strong and formidable bloodline but the saddest part of it is because my people are still very nomadic you know um orthodox you get pockets of them um here and there which still lives that nomadic life you know untouched by europeans untouched by civilization by the uh, strides of civilization by the technology of it you know by the eras of it they still live the way they did as a time gone by and the language was spoken was not even considered a language can't be considered a language because it's it's incomprehensible it's unspeakable unless it comes from out of the womb you know that's how you heard it and you constantly hear it but with coming back bring it back to this apartheid regime and what it has established is that these africaners settled in these predominantly people's land in my people's land and they they forced that language out of us that beautiful vibrational sonic inspired i don't think there's a language that has more sonic you know biochemistry vibration it can literally trigger the universe can literally you are able to communicate with animals you know the sound is you know the hearing the audibleness of the clicking noises is 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 sustainable enough to to cause rifts you know sonic rifts you know within the brain and so and they implemented their language which is an afrikaans you know which is a dutch a netherlands kind of dutchy language which also has slight vibrations which also made it possible for the koi koi and the san specifically to mimic it and also become a god because it was illegal to speak in that clicking noises you know they saw it as vulgar animalistic because it bothered them and it should bother you because it can it can bother anybody now especially a person that doesn't have surface melanin yes it will bother you especially if you don't know it you would always assume you know that yours are so more superior <clears throat> but obviously if the hunter writes this tale he's going to write it in his favor and so on the cape flats the spoken language was afrikaans and so coming back to those apartheid years when um the school system finally came into it it started to coming violent 
violent because the kids had nothing to live for, had nothing to do, you know, unless um, they had to be schooled in this horrendous language. And I call it that, even though I speak it, I call it that because I realize the history of it. It's horrendous because the original tongue has been dissipated, has is gone, totally, you know. And so the kids come into play here, you know, and their violence and their anarchy that was invoked over multitudes of decades since the Land Reform Act, it came to a blow when they wanted all uh, tertiary education and all schooling, basically, even from primary school to kindergarten, right up to tertiary, had to be in Afrikaans. And the kids said, no, you know, no. It's hard enough that we can't be schooled in our mother tongue, in our bloodline tongue. Now we can't even be able to, can't even speak English. No, it had to be Afrikaans. And so, obviously, English at the time could connect you to different parts of the world. I think the Akhoi was aware of that. So, and obviously, the kids started um, rising up. I, I hate talking about this period. I hate talking about the feelings. I hate talking about what revolution does. It steals your soul. People glamorize it a lot on Facebook and social media and Instagram and stuff like that. They glamorize this rising up. It has to happen, but there's nothing to glamorize yet. This is death, anarchy, pain and tears, blood and sweat. That's what it's gonna it's gonna cause just death. But obviously it can cause also the outcome can be freedom and, and what is freedom worth to you? You know, it must be worth all that suffering. It, it must be. And so I want to down that gloriousness of it. Because there's nothing glorious of standing up to the white man. You're going to have to kill him. You're going to have to kill innocents. You're going to have to kill people. That benefits of this privilege. And it came to that. I'm not talking radically. I'm talking facts. It happened. It's written in history. You know, it's been reported. The uh, aboriginals and the Africans were not going to have it. They were willing to kill and they were ready and they were seen as terrorists in their own countries, you know, because that's how the white men would portray them as terrorists. They felt they can come into these neighborhoods that they pushed us in to police us. And so we had no guns. We had no weaponry but our bodies and the stones and the African stones and the African sticks. And, and we fought, you know, death was daily. It was daily. You traitors, uh, having traitors amongst our, our ranks daily. You know, people wanting to have better concessions, better lives, better things for their family at the expense of a whole nation, of whole people. That was not uncommon. But what they didn't get because of their ignorance, because of their sickness of this violence, they wanted to have a better life under the white man. It was never going to go down like that because there's no way you can have a little bit of peace while we are in our um, in our strife. No, no, you know. So traitors would have been dealt with violently, even more violently than the white Africana, even than the white apartheid police. You know, I can remember people would come for your queen. If you were a revolutionary king, if you belonged to the Pan-African organizations and beg your pardon, if you belonged to the Pan-African organizations and the ANC especially at that time, rife 
you know, they were comfy in the dead of night. They were comfy, your queen, in the dead of night. And she already knew. She already knew. She prepared herself. She's going to have to be the sacrifice. But on, you know, it's, it, it comes as no surprise because on the chessboard, the queen will die so that, you know, and the king will be enslaved. There's, there's no other way. They don't kill the king. They kill her, you know, to get to him, to enslave him. The sacrifices have to be made. When the stories are told, these people are still alive to tell these stories and they don't tell it with glory. There's shame and pain attached to it. When they talk about their, what they've seen, what they've been through, you know, it, 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 it brings back memories of seeing Roman um, trucks running around, seeing the air full of smoke because of some municipality municipality building being burned down the kids running around police beating them to the inch of their lives you know their parents at some job looking after white children that's the only job she could do at that time looking after the master's children god you know listening to my mother talk about those days of my of my grandmother and the family she took you know the family's children that she looked after the woman was a cashier and okay you know i mean how's it possible that she can still afford a freaking maid that's the privilege of whiteness you can be common or middle class the privilege was extended to you and here is an african queen and she has to come and look after your five children while she has nine of her own you know i mean as womanhood black woman please if you can't see that white woman in this feminist movement, which I I support black feminism, I do. But if my black feminist sisters can't see that some of these women are only out to promote numbers. I don't want to go off topic too much, but humor me. You promote numbers and they go back to their privileged life and you still have to come back to this squatter camp. You still have to come back to the ghetto. No, no, no. Feminism or feminism under white um, matriarchy has not benefited black women. It has not benefited us. It has not made our neighborhoods better. It has not made our schooling better. It has not made politicians better to give us better concessions. It has not because these neighborhoods are oh, people talk about the ghetto. You don't know what a ghetto looks like. That's a ghetto. That's um, torn bricks, you know, and pavements and bleakness. Man, come into a township. There's not even that, you know. Literally, you can piss outside by the little stream that's there. It is ravaged in poverty, you know. And the fact that South Africa has come out of that to still have people living like that is atrocious for these black men. And I say men specifically because they have sold us out, those black African men. But what's new here? History is repeating itself. Have they not sold us out to Rome many a times? Have they not sold us out to Greece? Have they not sold us out to the English in the slave trade? Yes, and I'm saying it's true. For them to sell us out, to keep the white man happy, to make him feel like he's part of this rainbow nation. He's not part of the rainbow nation because he did not fight to release her from her iniquities. 
he caused it. So how can we make him feel comfortable? So when Julius Malema is talking what he's talking, he's not radical. He's telling a truth. You know, just because you want to be comfortable now, you want to be comfortable because you're all family, all black, white and whatever. No, none of that. You're going to hear this. You're going to hear this as a white person. You're going to hear this if you're South African. You're going to hear this. You were privileged and you are still privileged to this goddamn day because there's not a place in this world that you can't go and exert your whiteness. And you want that privilege still because now you feel you're sharing it with me. You're not sharing nothing with me. Nothing. You were never supposed to be in that land to begin with. You were never supposed to have that kind of power for that century. You know, never, ever. How the hell we let this go on talking, begging, asking, marching. But the minute we started killing you, you start, you know, acting right. You know, and now all of a sudden the political climate is high in the sky again because Europeans, which calls themselves South African, are on the offense and defense at the same time, saying that the Africans want to wipe them out. You would have been wiped out if that is what the African wanted. There is like a quarter of you, even less than that compared to the millions there is of us you would have been gone that's not what we wanted we just wanted you to stop your bullshit man give up the land it's not yours you didn't get it righteously we don't care for the price you paid for it it was never up for sale it was stolen give it back Give it back because you didn't pay the Africans to have that land. You paid the crown. Yeah. You paid Europe. Go demand your money and return receipt from them. They have your money. They have your money because they sold something that was not yours. So your gripe means absolutely nothing to me. And some of some of my European friends might think that this is crazy speak. Of course, because you never lived in a black brown body. You've never been in the ghetto, in the townships. You've never had to live up to another race. Speak in another race's language. Be taught. Carry their names. You never had to go through that. You would never understand. But I'm giving you a glimpse of the anger that's still seething under the black skin. And if you are friends with us, friends with me and you love me, you have to see me as a black woman and you have to see me as a collective and thus as an individual and i'm telling you this this is must be the longest podcast i've ever made but it is the most significant because i come out of that world carrying a name a white man's name because ours is lost down the river to this day my grandfather cannot remember and my great father remember what their name was how can you remember as a child on some farm you carry the farmer's name do you understand the blasphemy in that do you understand the taint and the shame no you don't 
if you're European. But you will understand it when the Africans exert that kind of pressure on you, that kind of blasphemy on you, when that reverse racism you're talking about happens to you like for like, because you haven't experienced like for like. But you will if you continue. You have to now repent and you have to now start talking about these issues. It's not about guilt no more because we know you're not the ones that are responsible. But by God, you reap the benefits and I reap the neglect of it. I never reaped any of those benefits. You have to be able to see that. You have to be able to see the privilege, the system, uh, the, the white systematic supremacy system you need to be able to see it and how you fit into it simply because you have lack of melanin and yet the carbon in my skin revolves and evokes the same carbon that lies in the universe how on earth can you be more superior than what i am biologically no And socially, you became that way by standing on the backs of a people that could get you there. And didn't we get you there? Didn't our resources get you there? Didn't our labor get you there? Didn't our pain and suffering get you to where you are right now? I don't know what else to say. But apartheid is not something I talk about without getting all emotional and, and kind of still angry and seething inside. But I'm trying to get this message across. Listen for a change. I'm not here being racist. I'm telling you your history, which I had to partake of against my will. It's your ancestors' history that I'm talking about now. We and my ancestors were a victim to your afflictions, not the other way around. So if you can't find a job today in South Africa and you're European and you can't live the life like your ancestors did, that's because they had to step on my ancestors' neck. And the fuck if I'm going to let you step on my neck so you can feel the same way they did, comfortable. Fuck no. Europe is where you will be comfortable because you don't see no black person owning land here. You don't see no black person exerting their power here. No, we work, we pay tax to the crown. That's the same freaking thing you're going to do. You're going to look for a job, work amongst your friends and pay tax to this black government like we all do when we're in European settlement countries. Yeah? Consider yourself an expat, you know, That's what I'm saying. I'm not a mean person, but I'm not a victim of y'all either. Things are dramatically changed and and the speech that comes out of us is changed. And for our young people, if you forget for a moment, if you put your friendships over your race, that is spells the end of your bloodline the end of your culture the end of who you are because these europeans have never forgotten who their bloodlines are who their race is and how powerful they are i suggest you don't forget either go love your friends go love your uh, 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 european friends be with them be good to them but don't forget who the fuck you are 
is a child of Africa, and that's our land. It's it's for blacks. It comes from us. It births us, and it will bury us as well. Remember that it's ours. And so, with that being said, apartheid was not a good look. It's a blip in our beautiful history, and we talk about it because at that point we find ourselves in the back foot and victimized. We're not there anymore, and it will never happen again. So help me, God. Um, and so this is the Lady Bonnet with a very, um, very strange, <sighs> awkward topic, but it had to come. It's a bit lengthy, very lengthy. So uh, I greet you all with love and peace and blessings. And please take this, please take this with an open heart, and know that we don't mean nobody harm. We're just tired of being second. We don't even want to be equal. We just want to be us. Yeah? Thank you.